0: appreciate very much the opportunity to, to be here and be able to try to preach the message of the Lord to you. I understand this is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Uh, I know that you probably came to church today with the expectation of actually hearing your pastor speak with you today and preach to you. Um, some time been afforded to me, so I do not take it lightly. I appreciate it very much. Um, I'm, a, I'm running the gambit of emotion up here. Um, we have just... Uh, we have just gotten through this past weekend, whereby we celebrated the 50th wedding anniversary of my parents. We went from our home out in Smyrna, Tennessee, all the way back to my parents' house in the thriving metropolis that is Sanderfield, Mississippi, about 1,200 people. And uh, got to spend some time with them, and the Lord's blessed me. And he's blessed me beyond compare because I've lived long enough to be able to see both sets of my grandparents reach 50 years in their marriage. And now I've seen my parents reach 50 years in their marriage. And it is a lasting testimony yes. to the love that the Lord has for his people to see when this actually takes place. And I'm very thankful for it. So I'm, a, I'm emotional coming off that emotional roller coaster of being with them. Plus, we had Father's Day. I was able to spend some time with our oldest three children before we left and actually left them with our parents to spend the, the rest of the week so they could go fishing and they could ride around in the pasture and do the things that they don't normally get to do up in Smyrna which is what they look forward to so I had to leave our older three behind and we've got the baby with us so if you hear some footsteps running down the aisles here shortly if you hear something going on it's probably just our little one it's okay think nothing of it she's uh she's just the baby of the family and she thinks everybody loves her just like Amber and I do so you may just have to get used to that but we're certainly thankful to to be here and I hope you will pray for me. I want to draw your attention to something that's said by an Old Testament prophet in the book of 1 Kings. Now, we're not going to stay there. You don't have to turn there. I just want to tell you what the man actually says, because he's in a tough spot, and he asks a question to the Lord's people that are intermingled in with some folks that aren't necessarily the Lord's people, but they fall in suit into a mindset that these people have. And it's just caught the Old Testament prophet off guard. And he says, I don't understand it. And Elijah came into all the people and said, how long halt ye between two opinions? Now, see, what's going on in the time of the Old Testament prophet is there's a lot of worship that's been transferred over to this false god, this idol named Baal. And a lot of the Lord's people have been caught up in this mess, in this travesty. They've been led astray by their leaders. They've been led astray by the false prophets of this Baal. They've been led astray by the authority of the time, the man that sat on the throne. They've been led astray by their own friends, telling them one thing after another. And they're going back and forth between two opinions. Well, should we honor God? Should we serve God as we've always done? Or should we start to honor and serve this false god, Baal, which is the prevalent factor of the day? And Elijah said, how has it come to this point? How long halt ye between two opinions? Either God is God and you serve him, or Baal is the Lord and you serve him. You can't go back and forth. There is no intermingling. You pick one and stay with it. But you need to understand God is God and Baal is not. And if you pick him, then you got all kind of heartache headed your way. You fast forward centuries later, this is before the gospel message was ever preached. This is before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came to this earth in the flesh and established his church. You fast forward some centuries later to the time of Christ and you see that the Lord's people are still halting between two opinions. Although this time it's between two different opinions. No longer are they halting between whether we should serve God or Baal. When you turn over to the book of Romans and you see in Romans chapter 11, I believe it is, when the Apostle Paul presents his case to the church at Rome, they're halting between two opinions when it comes to eternal salvation, grace and works. Turn with me if you've got your Bibles. Let's go all the way to Romans chapter 11. Paul says, beginning in verse 5, Even so then, at this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace, and if by grace then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more. So he says, it's one or the other. You can't intermingle elements of one to make the other stronger. It's either all by the grace of God that all of God's people will be with Him in eternal glory, or it's going to be all by the work that you have actually done to get to that point. That's right. Somehow, Some way, all those centuries later, the Lord's people had it confused. But you fast forward 2,000 years into the future where we currently stand now, you've still got the Lord's people among us that are still halting between these same two opinions that the Church of Rome was struggling with at that time. There are a lot of the Lord's people out there who do not realize, who do not understand that they're intermingling elements of works into their own eternal salvation. They don't understand it i tell you that with experience because I grew up under that belief, not knowing that I'd intermingled elements of work into my own eternal salvation, thinking that I've done something to make it more secure. But there's nothing that I could have ever done to solidify it. It's just based upon. The grace of God alone. That's what grace actually means. That's the definition of it. It's unmerited favor. It's something that's bestowed upon you that you do not deserve. And if I'm having to work to earn it, then it's not grace. It's not given to me. I'm actually earning it. It defeats the whole purpose. And there's a lot of the Lord's people out there in present day that don't understand this concept. So how did we get to this point? You know, how do we get to the point where we've got some of the Lord's people who don't understand that grace is free? It means exactly what it says by definition. You know, I love the fact that the the Bible gives us illustrations, whether it be by allegory, whether it be by parable, whether whether it be by illustration in and of itself, the Lord gives us pictures within our minds to make things more comprehensible to us things that we should easily comprehend. Sometimes we don't. And sometimes it takes a picture to do it. Now, in my case, it's lasted several years in life. It's probably easier for me to read a book that's got a picture beside it than it is to read a book without it. I don't know if I ever escaped that fifth, you know, four-year-old, five-year-old level. Who knows? But it's easier for me to make that determination when I see the picture. And that's what the Bible does so well for us. And that's what the Lord allowed his apostles to do when they wrote those epistles for our learning and our understanding is they paint a picture for us. Now, I can't give you a parable like the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't give you some kind of allegory with eloquent speech like the Apostle Paul actually did. Well, the best I can offer you is country boy logic. And I'm hoping that's going to be okay for you. All right, think back to your earliest days. You know, we're, we're in this, this great Rehoboth right here at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for it. And I'm willing to, to say that you probably grew up much the same way that I did in South Mississippi. You had a fishing pole in your hand at an early age. You learned how to fish at an early age. Think back to when you did learn how to fish, when you had the fishing pole and the reel in your hand. What did you use? Did you use something that was really complicated like an open face reel or a bell or something like that where it was uh, all this rigmarole that you had to go through to cast the line out there? No, you had a little bait-casting reel where all you had to do was mash the button and throw the line out. We used to have... (laughs) Growing up, the little town I was just in, Sanderville, Mississippi, I told you it's that thriving metropolis... Um, there was about 1,200 people there growing up when I was there, and all these years later, there's significantly less at this point. But growing up, I guess, I guess I have a certain bit of a nostalgia for what we had because it, it was probably more like Mayberry than I think any other town that you would see. And what made it so wonderful for me during my time growing up there was there were several individuals that were within probably three years of my specific age, at least 10 or 12 of us, and we always did things together. You know, we would always, whatever it be, whatever sport we were in, we were seasonal. If it was football season, we were playing football after church. That's just the way it was going to be. You know, if it was baseball season in the middle of the summer, we were playing baseball. If it got too cold, we were playing basketball. You know, it's stupid us. The older we got, you know, we thought we were just something to see. We would, when we were out of, when we were out of whatever sports season it was at night, we would just line up, circle our cars around, and have the lights shine in. We'd break out the boxing gloves just to go boxing, you know? Looking back on it, it's just silly that we would do things like that. But growing up, you know, it was just, you had all your friends with you. It's just something you wanted to do. And inevitably... There was one or two of us that had younger siblings that always wanted to do something with us. And you know, you, with the, the younger sibling, you don't really want them by you all the time. You want your, some level of autonomy. You don't want to have to take care of them all the time. Now, I wouldn't know anything about that being the youngest myself, and I think that's a little bit uh, overrated myself. I think older siblings kind of tell you that from time to time, and it's not necessarily true. But I will say, <laughs> yeah, I will say there were times when our friends that had younger siblings. Those siblings wanted to do stuff with us, and we were saying, I don't know if uh, we want to go down this road, but they would, they would stay at us long enough to where we finally were lent, and we'd say, okay, you know, you guys can come with us. We want to go fishing. All right, let's go fishing. And I kid you not, I have never in my life seen anyone backlash a Zepco 33 reel. It is the easiest thing in the world to possibly do. You hold the button, you throw the line, and it is fine. But one little fellow finally talked us into letting him go, or letting him go with us, and he went out there to go fishing, and sure enough, he backlashed that thing. I've never in my life seen it. It's something that's supposedly impossible. You know, it shouldn't be done. It shouldn't be able to be done. But nevertheless, he did it. And somehow some way the Lord's people have backlashed that Zebco 33. When you read the Word of God, it implicitly tells us that salvation in any eternal sense is by grace alone. Amen. But somehow, some way, we've backlashed that Zebco 33, and we've introduced works into it. Right. So how is that possible? How is that even possible that the very Word of God tells us one thing, but we're starting to believe something different? Now, I'm, I'm hesitant to give you opinion from the pulpit you know as a minister of the gospel message it's it's my requirement to give you the truth based upon what the word of god says and i'm always hesitant to say well it's my opinion of this that and the other but i will tell you this it's my belief that some way somehow a lot of the lord's people who don't understand what grace truly means are stuck right here matthew chapter 21 verse 5 we're told specifically, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the foal of an ass. Do you understand what the Jewish people leading up to this point in time? The very name of God was held with such reverence. How much so? That when Jesus Christ Himself gave us a prayer to model our prayers after. He started it. Our Father, who art in heaven. This was too much for the Jewish people to take because they could not conceive of an all-powerful, almighty God to be reverenced that would have such a personal, individual relationship with his children here on earth. But yet in the New Testament times... It seems like a lot of the Lord's people still have the view of the suffering Savior that we see riding here into Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, the very Son of Man. That term is a designation meaning a man of suffering, acquainted with grief. And that's how they view him, in that humility, in that humbleness, with those eyes, those dove eyes that you see in the Song of Solomon. There are a lot of the Lord's people who see our Savior that way, headed to the cross, and they've left him there. They don't see him as the risen God that he is. They don't see him as John saw him with a vision in the book of Revelation. What do you mean by that, preacher? We'll preach about The grace of our father. We'll preach about the suffering of his son and what his son came to accomplish for us. But we need to continue to preach about a risen savior who not only gave his life freely at that cross and shed his blood for each one of God's elect but took his life back up. And every bit of majesty and every bit of glory that he laid down in heaven with the Father on our behalf to come to this earth and sacrifice his life to redeem each one of us, he took every bit of that back up when he ascended back to the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's where he stands. He sits today. That's where he is. The Apostle John saw that in Revelation chapter 1. He got to see some things that men of the Old Testament did not get to see. When John wrote Revelation, when God gave him the vision that he was to write to all seven churches in Asia, you know, John's an old man at this point. You know He's easily in his 80s, really, has to be. He's lived almost 60 years from his time with Christ. Whereby he went with Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis, heard the words of Jesus Christ daily, heard the message of Jesus Christ daily, saw the miracles daily. He's at least 60 years out from this point, so it's been a long time since he's heard his friend by voice. It's been a long time since he's seen his friend face to face. Nevertheless, the Lord has been with him every step of the way. And right here, right now, when he's on the Isle of Patmos getting close to the end of his life... God gives him a vision of some things that he is to write. And he starts off this way in verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice. I want you to stop right there. Go back to what we just said about the apostle John. This is an apostle that the Lord loved. Jesus Christ even mentions this in the New Testament. This is a man that heard the very voice of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, daily. He should be familiar with the voice of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, the voice that he hears catches him off guard. It's not like anything he's ever heard before. He said, this was a great voice as of a trumpet. He said in verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Do you understand? The apostle John got to see something that Moses, that great man of faith, never got to see. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock. For God to pass by him. John got to see the power and the majesty of Jesus Christ in heaven. He said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the candlesticks, one likened to the son of man. We said he looked kind of like him. He looked like the man that I spent so much time with all those years ago. He looked like the man that I was with on a daily basis all those years ago. He looked like the man that had those words that I'd never heard before. And I continued all these decades later to proclaim as the living Son of God. He looked like him. There's something about him that's familiar. But then again, there's something about him that I've never seen before. He's seeing something brand new that he didn't see with Jesus Christ during Christ's time here with us in the flesh. He said he's likened to the Son of Man. He's clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the pates with a gold girdle, his head, his hairs were white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. That whiteness, you know what? A lot of times we we relate white hair to wisdom. Have you ever heard any of your your older sisters say that? You know, I I don't want to call anybody out here this morning, but have you ever heard an older sister say, well, I I went to the hairstylist. I had to get my wisdom colored. You ever heard that? They're trying to color up the gray hair. You know, a lot of times we'll conflate white hair with wisdom, but right here, this is a symbol of purity. This is a pure, undefiled Savior who gave his life for his people and then took his life back up. And all that power, all that majesty, all that glory that he had laid down in order to come here for us, it's now back with him. It didn't go anywhere else. It wasn't transferred anywhere else. It waited right there for him to take it back up. And just as he took his life back up, he took that power and that glory and that majesty back up. He is the pure Savior. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Just like we talked about a moment ago, you go all the way back to the Song of Solomon, you see those dove's eyes that he has. As he's looking at his bride, the church, he's looking with so much love. But now there's a flame. There's a flame there for those that would harm his bride, his church. I can take a lot of things. I can take probably a lot of abuse. You can call me some bad names. Chances are I've probably heard myself called worse. You could walk by and just hit me slap in the face. I've had that done before. But I tell you what, I'll take a lot and I'll walk away from a lot. You talk bad about my wife. You hurt my wife. I will not take that. But this is the long-suffering Savior right here. His eyes are a flame of fire because his bride, even though she's down here in this Rehoboth that he made for her until he comes to reclaim her again, she's under attack, she's under assault, and he will not have it. Amen. He will ultimately come back and free her from the oppression that she's under. And his eyes are a flame of fire, his feet like in a fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And here's the, what I love. And his voice as the sound of many waters. We say, Preacher, what does that mean? When's the last time you've been to the beach? When's the last time that you've been to the beach, you truly walked out to the beach and just sat right on the sand, stared off into the horizon, you see nothing but water, and all you see is wave upon wave coming to the shore? That sound is unmistakable, and it does not stop, it keeps coming and coming, and coming, and crashing in, and you cannot escape that sound as long as you are in its presence. Nothing drowns it out. A couple of weeks ago, we've been locked up for the pandemic, and COVID, and you know, all six of us on top of each other, and it, it, it just reached a boiling point. You know, I think we were just about done, and we got a little sliver of hope. We got a little sliver of daylight, and restrictions were starting to ease back, and We rejoiced in the Lord greatly because we had gone six straight weeks where we had not been able to meet together as a church family at Wilson Creek. And finally, the first Sunday in May, we were able to come back together. Now, our congregation is not necessarily the size that you have here at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church, but we're the Lord's people. And we were grateful to be able to meet with one another once again. We were able to do it that first week in July, that first Sunday, or excuse me, in May. And we were happy. And that probably should have Quelled the uh the the desire that we had to get out and do things but when you've been locked up for that long man it just kind of eats away at you so that second weekend we took an impromptu trip just down the Gulf Shores just to get away for a couple of days you know and it worked out pretty well because the way the the destination that we went to was a place that was uh primarily populated by an elderly population so they were scared to death of us you know they're young kids coming from out of town we don't want any part of that so they kept to themselves we pretty much had the beach all to ourselves and it was just a lot of fun and as i'm sitting there at that beach i hear those waves just crashing in one after the other after the other after the other and you couldn't stop it you could not get away from it whatsoever where we were at, the beach we were at, was actually in a flight path for training exercises for the Blue Angels. And they were coming full force. They were breaking the sound barriers. They was coming by. And the sound was just catching up to them. And the sound was almost deafening. But you know what it didn't drown out? The voice of those many waters. Crashing into that shore every time because you could not escape it. Despite the world's best efforts, child of God, it cannot drown out that sound of many waters ever. And that same sound of many waters that you read about here from the son of God in Revelation chapter one. That's the same voice that calls to you when you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It will not be denied. It will be heard. And that which is dead will be brought to life. And in his right hand he had the seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet dead. I fell as if I was dead. That's John's reaction to seeing our risen Savior in his power, in his glory. He fell upon his feet as if he were dead. This is a man who had spent so much time with the Lord Jesus Christ and didn't know him in this capacity. Now he sees it and it's almost more than he can take. He falls straight away as if he were dead in humility, in obedience, because this is the risen Messiah that he serves. This is the same Jesus Christ that died for him. I think we've got too many of the Lord's people in today's time that do not see our Savior, Jesus Christ, as this risen Lord that's described for us here in Revelation chapter 1. Because when you see all this power, all this majesty, all this glory within this man, within the very God that we serve, how is it that we can think that there's anything that we could do to try to strengthen what he did for us? Because we can't. In Hebrews chapter 7, Paul makes his statement. He said, Our Lord Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. So who do you want making intercession for you? Do you want the man of sorrows that we see all the way over in Matthew chapter 21, riding in that humility and all meekness? Do you want to see him? As he's headed to Jerusalem, do you want him as your intercessor? Or do you want to see the very risen Savior here in Revelation chapter 1 in his power and his glory and his majesty? I'm going to give you an answer. I want to see them both. Amen. Because they're the same man. And somehow, way, a lot of the Lord's people have just latched on to one portion only. But He is every bit the Son of God in Revelation chapter 1 as He is in Matthew chapter 21. He is the same Son of God who died for His elect. He's the same Son of God that shed His blood to cover each one that the Lord gave Him before the foundation of the earth. And that blood covers each and every one of us. Do you know when Paul says He ever liveth to make intercession for us, when He took His life back up? It showed that the Lord was pleased with the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, just as the young brother said earlier this morning. He's pleased with it. Now, <laughs> I told you that my little hometown's not necessarily like it was whenever I grew up, and that's for sure. There's been many days that have passed since that point in time. And I won't go into all of it, but if I just do a quick, uh, quick check of the old arithmetic chart, I'm well past 14,000 days of my life at this point. But you see, there's something about me that's a lot like you. I was born dead in my trespasses and sins. And you take those 14,000 plus days that I've lived on this earth, if you take the very best case scenario, the very best case scenario is I've only sinned once each day. <laughs> that's over fourteen plus thousand sins. Is there something that I can do to atone for 14,000 plus sins in my life? Is there something I can do to atone for that to put me right in fellowship with God? Absolutely not. But I do know that I have a risen Savior that ever liveth to intercede on my behalf. And as he's by the right hand of God the Father, they bo- they both see each and every sin that I've ever committed. They look out in the future. They see the ones that I'm going to commit. They remember the ones that I don't remember. They saw the ones that I never knew I even committed. They seen them all. And with each and every one that I commit or have committed, Jesus Christ is interceding on my behalf saying, my blood covered that one. My blood covered that one. All 14,000 plus, and I promise you, you can multiply that by an infinite number from me. Covered every one of them. And this one right here and that one right here, as bad as they are, my blood's still covered. We serve a risen Savior who ever liveth to intercede on my behalf. And there are a lot of the Lord's people who don't see him that way. Now, I can preach the gospel message till I am blue in the face. The gospel message is not going to save any one of the Lord's people eternally. It's just not. What it does do is it gives you the liberty to know that you're not in bondage under sin anymore. And it gives you liberty to know that there's nothing that you have to do to put yourself right with God for eternal salvation to take place. Amen. But somehow, some way, the Lord's people have backlashed at code 33. <laughs> and they still feel like, There's something they have to do. I have met countless number of the Lord's people among different denominations and among different beliefs that still hold to that. And they don't even understand what it is that they do believe. They don't understand that they're intermingling evidences of work. Whether it be decision, whether it be action, whether it be a public profession, whether it be baptism, whatever it may be. To them, that's not a work. But according to the Word of God, it is. And there's nothing that we could do to atone for our sins. But that's what grace is all about. Grace is the Lord Jesus Christ taking care of it on our behalf. All the multitude of sins that I've ever committed in my life. That risen Savior. That meek, that humble Savior of mine in Matthew 21. That's riding to his end in Jerusalem is the same risen Savior in Revelation chapter 1. And He died for me. To save me from every sin that I've ever committed. There's freedom. There's freedom in knowing that it's all been done. And that it's all been taken care of. And with this being Father's Day, you need to understand that you have a Heavenly Father that spared not His only Son for you. We're told that the souls of his beloved, the souls of his elect are precious to him. Do you understand? The only thing more precious than your soul in the sight of God is the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what he used to redeem you. And I promise you, according to what the word of God says, there's nothing more that we have to add to that to make that salvation secure. May God bless you.